Good evening, everyone. So tonight I have the opportunity of speaking to you all. This is my last Sunday of my internship here at Oldham Lane for the summer. And it has been an honor um, to serve with you guys this summer. It's been an honor to uh, learn under Blake and Jake and Chris and all them. They've given me lots of hard times, but it's been, it's been really good. I've enjoyed it. Tonight as I was preparing, I was thinking about something that means a lot to me, something that, that matters and something that I think that should mean a lot to all of us as, as Christians is the truth. The truth is so, so very important. Now, there's been some myths floating around about me this summer that are not true. One of those is that I am a student in the youth group. I am the intern, I promise you. At preacher training camp, I was mistook for a student on multiple occasions. At White River Youth Camp, I co-taught with Blake at a Bible class there. But I got in trouble one day for going into the teacher room because I, they thought I was a camper. <laughs> another myth going around is that, well, I've been staying with Tim and Debbie Smith this summer. And another myth going around is that I'm their fourth child. Let me clear that up. They still have three kids. They just traded Ethan in for the new and improved version. <laughs> no, not really. Um, but, but you see, people, people say these myths. And sometimes we don't know whether to believe them or not. Some of them are silly. Some of them are obviously not true. But when it comes to our faith and our spiritual life, sometimes they're harder to see whether they're true or not. Sometimes it's harder to see through the lies, through the myths. Paul warned the church that they were going to struggle with this. They warned the church, or he warned the church, that there were going to be myths that come into the church. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Our culture has wandered off into a myth, and the specific myth that we're going to discuss tonight is hurting the church in some pretty serious ways. The myth that our culture is buying into is the myth that truth is relative. It's a belief known as relativism. I'll use that phrase a lot tonight. Relativism says that we can all have our own personal truth. Our culture says there are many ways to be saved, and the only standard that you have to follow is you believe in Jesus, and maybe you love him a little bit. That's it. From there, it doesn't matter what theology you believe in. It doesn't matter what doctrine you believe in. It doesn't even matter how you interpret the Bible. That's what relativism says. Your truth, which may be completely contradictory from my truth, is still as legitimate when you believe in relativism. So what, what's the draw to this belief? Why, why are people struggling with this in the church and outside the church? Well, I think relativism makes religion easy. Relativism appeals to the masses because it promises minimum commitment while still receiving eternal life. If whatever I believe, if my personal truth is all it takes to get to heaven, then religion can be as easy and as comfortable as I want it to be. I get to set the standards. I get to set the expectations. It doesn't matter what God says is true. It doesn't matter what the Bible teaches about godly living, about the church, about worship, about salvation. I set the standard. And so religion becomes easy if I want it to be, and why wouldn't I want it to be? As long as I'm obedient to my truth, I get to go to heaven. That's the draw to relativism. Another draw, I think, is that relativism creates a type of unity. I'll talk more about that. See, relativism eliminates the possibility 
of judgment. Because even if you believe something completely different from what I believe, I can't judge you for that. We're still going to go to heaven regardless of what we believe. So really, we should just accept each other and get along, right? It's a type of unity based on disunity. It's very strange, isn't that? Our unity isn't based on what we have in common. It isn't based on the truths that we believe together. It's based on the fact that despite our opposing beliefs, none of us is more right or wrong than the other, so we should just get along. We're all going to heaven anyway, right? Relativism seems welcoming, and it seems open to everyone, because the standard for truth is so low that, that you can't judge anyone. But what are the implications for this? There's got to be some, some consequences for believing this. I think that the, the unity created by relativism is a false unity. Unity based on disunity is not unity at all. It's tolerance, but it's not biblical unity. This has caused so many people to leave the church because it doesn't really matter where I go to church. As long as I love Jesus and believe in him, I'm good, right? Or maybe, maybe I don't even like church. Maybe I think I can grow more just sitting at my house reading my Bible, and so I won't even go to church. But you know what? That's, that's my personal truth. That's what I believe in, so I'm okay, right? You see the implications of this. This idea of personal, personal truth seems nice. It seems comfortable. It seems like it's something we might want but it erodes at our faith, it erodes at the authority of the Bible, and it turns people away from the church and biblical truth. The lie that our culture is pushing of relativism blurs the line between right and wrong. It creates a lot of spiritual confusion. If I believe in relativism, I can never say that someone is wrong because the standard for truth is relative to them. Maybe they don't believe it's wrong, so what can I say? This creates confusion when people try to find a church home. This creates confusion when people try to know what it's like to live the Christian life. This creates confusion when you're trying to share your faith. There are so many different churches out there that teach different things, and they all say that they know the way to get to heaven. So how do I find the right church? Different people are going to tell me what it looks like to be a Christian. Where's the standard for Christian living? When I, when I share my faith, what, why, why should I even? Because if, if what they believe is just as good as what I believe— then sharing my faith is pointless, right? All these questions and confusion arise when we buy into the lie of relativism. In a world that promotes relative truth, where can we find absolute truth? Does it even exist? Let's think about this from a common sense point of view, and then we're going to go to the Bible. Let's think about our society and in the way our society is set up. Does absolute truth exist? I love popsicles. I could eat popsicles every day, all day. I love them. So let's say that right after church, I go over to Walmart and I steal every single popsicle in their freezer, but I get caught. A police officer pulls me over. Well, I'm not too worried because I tell him, you know what, officer, I, I appreciate you doing your job, but, but personally, I love popsicles so much that it's okay that I stole them. It's okay. That's, that, that's what I believe. What's he going to say? You're right, Noah. My bad. I didn't know you believed that your personal truth, you know, my personal truth, you're good to go. Take all the popsicles you want. He's not going to say that. What's he going to say? He's going to arrest me because I broke the law. I stole, which is illegal. The law sets the standard for what is legal and illegal, regardless of what I believe. Stealing is absolutely illegal, and that's absolutely true. Let's think about this in, a, in the natural world. Does absolute truth exist in the natural world? Last summer, I had the opportunity 
to go to the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. It's 2,700 plus um, feet high. And the, the observation deck where tourists are allowed to go is 1,823 feet tall. So still pretty high. So let's say I'm up there. And all of a sudden I decide, you know what? I don't believe in gravity anymore. Gravity is just relative to the person. If you believe in it, yeah, it affects you. But if you don't, you're good. When I jump off that observation deck, I'm going to find out very quickly that gravity exists. Gravity is absolutely real. It's true. No matter what I believe about gravity, it exists. So we see absolute truth in our society. We see it in the natural world. And God created both of those things. So why wouldn't God create absolute truth in our spiritual lives? As a Christian, if you truly want to follow God, you cannot deny the existence of absolute truth. Let's look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 17 reads, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says that God's word is truth. Where do we find the absolute truth? Where do we find the standard for what the church should look like? Where do we find the standard for what it means to be a Christian? Where do we find the examples and instructions to share our faith? In God's word, in the Bible. This is where we find absolute truth. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6, reads, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul was dealing with the same things that the church is dealing with today. People were perverting the gospel. They were teaching beliefs and, and fate, false truths as truth that were contrary to the gospel. And Paul emphasizes that the gospel is the standard for truth, even to the point that if an angel were to tell you something different, he's to be accursed. Absolute truth is found in the Bible and nowhere else. It isn't found in ourselves, it isn't found in our opinions, and it most certainly isn't relative to each other. Religion isn't supposed to be easy. We talked about that the draw of relativism is it creates easy religion, and it sounds really, really nice. But religion isn't supposed to be easy. When I determine truth, Christianity becomes about me, about making me comfortable, about making my life easier, about fulfilling my desires, right? That flips the point of Christianity and the purpose of Christianity. It flips it from being about me and others first and God second, when it should be about God first and me and others second. Verse 10 of Galatians chapter 1, back in that passage, says, For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Right after Paul finishes getting on to the Galatians for perverting the gospel, he asks them who they're trying to please. Man or God? Paul says that if he were trying to please man, he wouldn't be a servant of Christ. If our goal in Christianity is to please ourselves and fulfill our desires, we are better off not being a Christian at all. 
you will have a lot easier time doing what you want to do, fulfilling your desires outside the church than you ever will in the church. And if that's your goal, why are you even part of the church? That's what Paul's saying. The Christian life is not a life of ease and comfort. In verse 10, Paul describes his relationship with Christ as that of a bondservant. As Christians, we are slaves to Christ. We bow our knees to him, we faithfully follow his commands, and we do that regardless of how we feel or what we want, and regardless of how much the world persecutes us. That is not easy, that is not comfortable, but it is fulfilling. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Being a Christian ensures that we're going to go through trials in life. However, as a Christian, we have an inheritance that will never fade away. At the end of time, if you've been faithful to Jesus Christ and his absolute truths in the Bible, we will obtain the promise of our faith. Peter says that's salvation. That is the most comforting, most fulfilling, most joy-bringing news you will ever hear. That will bring you joy like nothing else on this earth. Following the absolute truth of the Bible will bring you comfort and hope and peace that nothing else on this earth can bring you. It's not easy to be a Christian, and it's never promised to be easy, but it is absolutely worth it. The absolute truth of the Bible also brings about true unity. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Bible is clear that there should not be multiple faiths. The Bible is clear that there not, should not be multiple churches. There is one true faith and one true church, one true body of believers. Continuing on in Ephesians 4, looking down at verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. True unity is found in having the same faith. True unity is found in working together to build up the body of Christ. 
Unity is not found in each of us believing what we want. Unity is not found in simply accepting all beliefs and doctrines. True unity comes from all together believing the truth, not coming together regardless of the truth. There are other instances where Paul corrects disunity in the church. In 1 Corinthians 4, 6, the solution given to Paul by the Holy Spirit for disunity is to not go beyond what is written. What is written? The truth, the Word of God. That is what brings unity, the absolute truth of the Bible, not accepting each other regardless of the truth. That is what brings unity. Absolute truth is real. The Bible contains absolute truth, and it brings fulfillment, and it brings unity, unlike anything else we could experience on this earth. And it brings it in an eternal sense as well, something that nothing else on this earth can promise you. So what do we do with it? Where do we go from here? Well, when you know the truth, you are likely to do and say things differently if you were to have not known the truth. I know this from experience. I was homeschooled through sixth grade, and I was really into history. And one of the books that I read was a Civil War book called Shades of Grey. Well, around my freshman year of high school, a movie came out called Fifty Shades of Grey. I have not seen it. I will never see it. I've heard terrible, immoral, ungodly things about this movie. However, at the time, I didn't know that, and I thought it was just a movie version of the book, a Civil War book. Well, my friends came up to me and jokingly, because they knew and heard about this movie and how bad it was, said, Noah, have you seen Fifty Shades of Grey? Not knowing what it was about and assuming it was a Civil War movie, I said, no, but I've read the book and it's a really good book. <laughs> if I had known more, I would never have said that. If we know the truth, we are going to do things differently. And there's a person in the Bible, there's a story Jesus tells that has the same principle. Let's turn to Luke chapter 16. Around verse 19, Jesus tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And many of you know this. The rich man lived for himself. Lazarus could barely take care of himself and begged, but the rich man gave him nothing. They both ended up dying at the same time. Lazarus went to heaven. The rich man went to hell. The rich man looking up and seeing Lazarus and Abraham in heaven asked that Lazarus would come help him, but he, he would not. So the rich man says, well, if you can't help me, then go help my brothers. And so we're going to pick up there in Luke 16, verse 27. And he, the rich man, said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If the rich man had only known more, he wouldn't have lived the way he did. If he had only known the truth about how God wanted him to live, he would have lived righteously and godly and gone to heaven. If only someone from the dead had come back to tell the rich man the truth. This causes the rich man to request that Lazarus go back and tell his brothers. If I can't be saved, at least you can go tell them. But what does Abraham say? They have all they need to know to live righteously. They have Moses and the prophets. They have scripture. And while we are not under the old law, we have the scripture and the truth for the new law, the new covenant. 
Abraham is saying that the excuse that if I had only known more is not a legitimate excuse in our spiritual walk because God has given us everything we need in his word. He has given us absolute truth to know how to be saved, to know how to live righteously. So what do we do with this truth? We let it change our lives and we share it so it can change others. Don't give your friends the opportunity to say on Judgment Day, if only you had shown me the life-changing truth of the Bible. If only you had told me how to change my life around, how to live like God wouldn't want me to. If only I'd known the truth. As Christians, we've been called to go and to share in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Relativism challenges the fundamentals of our faith. It challenges the fundamentals of, of the Bible's authority. But we must stand for the truth, and then we must be willing to share it. But I might not know enough. Maybe the Bible is not going to cover something that will come up in my discussions. Maybe it's not, it's not enough for me to minister and evangelize to my friends. I think you'll find the Bible is more than enough. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God has everything we need in order to teach others. The Word of God completely equips us to share our faith and change people's lives. 1 Peter chapter 2, or sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. The Bible covers everything we need to know about life and godliness. It won't leave anything out. We can come up with all kinds of excuses for not sharing the truth. But as one of my professors at Fried Hardman once told me, there has never ever been an excuse made for not evangelizing that glorified God. Not once. If you're a Christian, someone cared enough about you to show you the truth of the Bible. And you can attest to how it changed your life. Show that same care and love for others by telling them about the truth. The truth. Relativism is a legitimate belief in people's minds. However, it's a lie that Satan is trying to use to undermine our faith, to undermine the Bible's authority, and to undermine the church. Relativism sounds really, really good. It does. But it destroys the church. My challenge for all of you here today is to stand for the truth. Stand for the truth that there is one God. Stand for the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came and died for our sins. Stand for the truth that God offers us salvation if we become a Christian. Stand for the truth that becoming a Christian involves believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. Stand for the truth that there is one church and everyone is welcome in the church. Stand for the truth that at the end of time, there will be a judgment. But if we are faithful Christians, we do not need to fear it. Stand for the truth that we have a home in heaven with God for eternity if we are faithful to the absolute truth of the Bible. We started tonight by reading 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Paul paints the picture of the problems that we've discussed tonight. But the amazing thing is that Paul has just finished talking beforehand about how Christians should respond to this. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. Preach the truth. Once you stand for the truth, share it. And once we start sharing the truth, we will start changing people's lives. And before you know it, God will work through us to change the world. I hope that we all believe in the absolute truth of the Bible. However, I'm very aware that the lies that the world tells us are really appealing. It's easy to forget about the truth. It's easy to fall into sin. And if you're struggling with your Christian walk, you're in the right place. We all struggle with our Christian walk at times, but the church is here to pray for you and to help you, help you find your way back to the truth. It's very easy to get discouraged as a Christian. It can seem like you're alone in your stand for the truth when everyone around you believes something different. But the church is here to encourage you and to stand with you as we all together stand for the truth. Maybe you've never learned the truth found in God's word. We would be overjoyed to study with you, to show you what it means to be a Christian, what it looks like, and the joys and comforts and family that come from being a Christian. The Christian truth begins with Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus says that he's the truth and the life. Can we help you get to know Jesus tonight, tomorrow, this week? Don't wait. There is no better time than right now to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to be added to the church. There is no better time right than right now to start living in the truth. Whatever your need, please come tonight as we stand and sing.